The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Check it out now. No doubt now. It's the Beating the Book podcast, dead of summer, early July. It's a baseball mid-season podcast. Thought I'd, uh, you know, get off my butt and do a podcast here before football season. Uh, this will be two parts. The first part, uh, a interview I did with Mark Borchard, base winner on a numbers game at VEASAN, where we go over what we used to call our Q2 stats, if you remember our old baseball derivatives shows from back in the day on the Beating the Book podcast. Uh, it'll be our Q2 review of five inning wagers, best teams, worst teams in the first five lines thus far this season, accumulated units or units hemorrhaged. We'll also do proprietary first inning stats, plus a review of umpires as well. Our typical derivative podcast deal with Mark Borcher, that'll take place first, only be about 15 minutes. And then after that, Jason Weingarten at Spreadopedia on Twitter, also a Point Spread Weekly contributor at VEASAN, and Paul Spore from Fangraphs, the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, and of course his own Twitch channel. We will review our opening season podcast that the three of us did with Matt Vaskersian from ESPN and MLB Network. We'll review some of our ridiculous predictions, some of our good ones, and we'll project forward. It is a mid-season baseball podcast from Beating the Book. Enjoy. For those who listen to the Beating the Book podcast for many, many years, uh, they know that you and I used to do Q1, Q2, Q3 baseball derivative market uh, updates, quarterlies, if you will. So let's do our Q2. We did our Q1 earlier. We'll make this part of the Beating the Book podcast this week as well. I know you're going on vacation, so uh, we'll wrap up the other parts with uh, Jason Weingarten and Paul Sporer reviewing our bets from early in the year. But let's do our thing. Let's let's go to the easy ones quick. These are widely available. A site like Covers.com has these. The most profitable teams in baseball this year. Let's just do it. Just money line, most profitable. The Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners, who you have talked about as like, how in the world are they still in this? Uh, they're 45 and 40. If you had bet the Mariners blindly every single game this year, and by the way, if you're doing that, you're probably doing this wrong. But let's say you have as either a dog or, or a favorite. You'd be up nearly 19 units, 18.85 units, Mark. 
Uh, San Francisco, no surprise next, 18.71. Boston, 18.47. No surprise with San Francisco and Boston, but man, there is, well, I mean, I guess there is. There's a surprise with all three of those if we're talking from before the season, right? Yeah, absolutely. Those teams have exceeded their their preseason expectations. Uh, you know, people were down on Boston, Seattle, and the Giants. So, yeah, it is a surprise, Gil. Yeah, all three of those north of $18 in your pocket. Fourth place is $10 fewer than that in Tampa Bay. So it's those three teams and everybody else. And, uh, you know, when Seattle's 45 and 40, San Francisco's 53 and 31, and Boston's 54 and 32, and not, nothing was expected of any of them, really, preseason, that, that makes all the sense in the world. Now, the biggest hemorrhaging of money uh, by far, what team would that be, Mark? Any guesses, or do you know the answer to this? Somewhere in Arizona, the Diamondbacks. <laughs> yes. 34.9 units. First of all, this is a bizarro exercise, right? Like, you shouldn't be betting the Diamondbacks every single game, let alone maybe, you know, maybe even one or two you shouldn't be betting them. But 34.9 units down at the midway point or just crossing the midway point of the season. I, I don't know this off the top of my head, but as many years as we've been doing this, that might be the worst number at Q2 that I ever remember. Do you remember anything worse than that? No, it, it's pretty low. And and you know what's surprising is it's not like they're huge underdogs every every night. Right. It's like they're favored today, believe it or not. They're minus 120. So, like, you, you see these these lines and you're like, well, I I mean, I get that's that's the reason that they've accumulated such a, a unit loss, too, is because they're not like huge underdogs every every night. Yeah. And most of those, no surprise to people, will be on the road. Of course, they had that epic losing streak. They're down over 20 units, almost 21 units on the road. But really, 34.9 units overall if you bet them blindly every single game this year. Second place and third place, not even close. Minnesota would be the next worst, down 18.5 units for for blind bettors. Baltimore, 16.5 in the red for blind bettors. Um, Again, how much of this is predictive? How much of this is narrative? That's the point of this exercise. Some of it you might be able to glean something predictive from, but maybe a lot of it's narrative. I don't know of all those. Would you say Seattle is not something that's predictive. Let's just start there. Like that will yeah, not continue. I would, I would say that of all those, Seattle's probably the one that I would, I would bet against if I had to go bet blindly against a team, because we talked about my expected standings, you know, they're 45 and 40 on the regular standings, but on the expected standings, they're 38 and 46. So there's about a seven game difference on what they should be based on their uh, sabermetrics to what they are. So, yeah, I would, you know, I'm looking to fade some of these teams at the top three and the bottom three of, of those expected standings, and that, that would be one team that I would be looking to fade, Gil. For sure. Generally speaking, obviously, night to night would be, uh, you know, its own little thing, but generally speaking, that would be the case. The other thing that, that sort of strikes me is this, and I don't remember this from other, you know, halfway points of the season, just how big the drop-off is from some of these top teams in these categories to the next group. We talked about the top three in money line or just in terms of making betters money and then it's a huge drop-off after Seattle, San Francisco, and Boston. When we go to run line, the San Francisco Giants are by far the team that has benefited betters most. If you had bet them on the run line, that's to win if they're a favorite, minus one-and-a-half runs, to uh, lose but at plus one-and-a-half oftentimes get within that to only lose by one run, you'd be up 20.5 units betting the Giants blindly on the run line, whether as a favorite or or dog this year second place isn't even close like there's not another team that's even in double digits I mean which I don't remember ever seeing a team maybe I'm wrong that is that 
way far out ahead in what is really a, a sort of de facto power ranking of teams. And then on the bottom side, not quite as big of a difference, but one and two, but still a, a like a seven unit difference between the twins and everybody else. You'd be down 25.1 units betting them blindly on the run line. So when you talked about the Giants on one end and the Twins on the other, predictive or narrative on both of those? I don't I think that the Giants are is probably more are, are more I think there's some predictive to to regress. So I think it's more narrative, I guess, yeah, with the so, Giants. Pre, so you think it will regress. Minnesota, do you just think they're bad at baseball? Or you think that will get better? No, I I think that they're they're going to regress too. In fact, they're the second unluckiest team. They're 35 and 48 uh by the conventional standings and they should be 42 and 40. So I think that that'll Go the other way, Gil. Okay. Uh, Chris Flexen, still the most profitable pitcher. If you had blindly bet Mariners games this year, when Flexen's starting, you'd be up 8.65 units. Savale of Cleveland is second north of eight units, as is Casey Mize of Detroit. Um, Gilbert of Seattle, also north of eight units, if you had bet him blindly this year. And then the pitchers uh, that have hemorrhaged the most money, if you had bet them blindly, <clears throat> Pardon me, Lopez for Baltimore. The Orioles four and thirteen in his starts, almost eight units in the red. Castillo, Luis Castillo of the Reds, who folks had so much hope for, uh, but the Reds are only five and twelve in his starts. You'd be down seven point eight units with him, and then Dunning for Texas, you'd be down seven and a half units. Um, Texas four and twelve in those starts. So again, you know, flexing with the Mariners being eleven and four in his starts, like his numbers don't support that at all, do they? Yeah, I don't think that he's even league average in his in his XFIP, Gil. Let me yeah. just pull him up. He's 4.85 base winner ERA. So, I mean, that's got that's just luck. So, between him and the Mariners being lucky, that might be a a bet against moving forward. Yeah, and again, that's the thing with with some of these. You really got to glean what what helps us with bets and what doesn't. Let's talk about umpires because you don't have you do have historical numbers. This might be something we can latch on to. The most reliable over-unders, excuse me, over-umpires. In other words, when they're behind home plate, their games behind home plate have gone over at the highest rate. Greg Gibson, six games this year behind home plate calling balls and strikes. All six games have gone over. Uh, Shane Livensparger, five games behind home plate. All five have gone over. I want to give enough sample size. Sean Barber might be the the biggest one, though. 14 games behind home plate calling balls and strikes this year. 12 over, only two under. And then the other six out of seven have gone over. Lance Barrett, Carlos Torres, Dan Iasonia, and Edwin Moscoso. Anything historically consistent there? The one that jumps out is Greg Gibson, and he's he's about 12th in my over. Over the last, it's a five-year weighted average. The top three that I have an over umpires historically, based on this is a sabermetric number, uh, Marquez, Wagner, and Mark Carlson. Those are the three umpires that their sabermetrics, uh, strikeout percentage, walk percentage, and ground ball would indicate that they are over umpire skill. Okay, but Greg Gibson, some historical uh, consistency yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, he, he he's the one that that that's closest to the top, Gil. He's he's about. I don't know, 13th or so. Okay, so when you see Greg Gibson as the listed uh, umpire behind home plate, keep that in mind, uh, that he is not only uh, historically uh, an over-umpire, but is also one here in the first half of 2021. Under-umps, Trip Gibson the third, nine games behind home plate, all nine under. Chris Guccione, six games behind home plate, all six under. 
Lance Barksdale, five behind home plate, all five under. And then six out of seven to the under, Sam Holbrook and Tom Hallion. Anything there? Trip Gibson is number eight in under umpires. Uh, So that was the one that kind of stuck uh, stuck out to me. Uh, The top three sabermetric umpires over the last five years, uh, Rehack, Jeremy Rehack, Adam Hamry and Doug Eddings. But Trip Gibson is uh he's number eight, Gil. Those are to the unders you're talking about. To the under, yeah. Yeah, to the under. <clears throat> Doug Eddings is always down there. Uh, year after year after year. I'm trying to see where Doug Eddings is offhand right now. Can't find him uh, for this year. But those are those are interesting numbers. And again, in the case of in this particular exercise, in the case of Greg Gibson to the over and Trip Gibson to the under, both historically uh over and under respectively, and also in the first half of this season. That might be something we latch on to. By the way, site like StatFox gives out those umpire listings pretty early. Is there another website that people can go to for that? Yeah, it's called. It's on Twitter. It's called Umpire Crew. That's Umpire the one that, Crew uh, on Twitter. But you, but you can always know, once you get a home plate umpire for one series, they rotate. They go first to first base to home plate, and then second base to first base. And so it, it rotates. I guess that would be uh, counterclockwise. So you can figure it or out. Clockwise, well. rather. Figure it out yeah, as yeah, well once, from that point forward. Okay. Once you know the home plate umpire for game one, you'll know the home plate umpire for the rest of the series. All right. Let's go to the uh, first five. Big shout out to... Uh, to Joe Osborne over there at uh, Odd Shark for putting these together. He updates these uh, pretty frequently. The most profitable first five teams, and we can flash up this graphic here, Jason, for betters. Again, this is a bizarro exercise, Mark, where if you bet these teams every single game of the year, and by the way, these are updated through yesterday morning. So, like, the Giants had a push through five yesterday before uh, – before poor Kevin Gaussman's no hit, he was no hitting him, no hitting the Cardinals through six, and then I said something on primetime action. We said something, and then we just completely jinxed it. But uh, the Giants, Astros, and White Sox, best first five teams for betters if you bet them blindly in a bizarro exercise this year. Giants, you'd be up almost sixteen units. Uh, Astros, you'd be up over twelve units. White Sox, you'd be up eleven and a half units betting those teams first five. Um, not the most surprising, although the Giants are, right? I guess if we're going back to the beginning of the season, maybe not to me because I, I really like the Giants to make the playoffs, and I let the hate wash over me when I said that. But I think most people would consider the Giants a shock there. It's the bottom three that's always fascinating. D-backs picking up the rear. Okay, 18 units in the red if on first five, two. They're terrible every which way. Pirates down 15-plus units first five this year. How about the Tribe? Down 14.26 units, bottom three. Would that have surprised you? That That is surprising, Gil. If you look at their uh, sabermetric stats, though, in the first five innings, they're like, I don't know, 25th and hitting uh, in the first five. And then they're like, the pitching was really surprising. They're like 23rd in, in, uh, in fielding independent uh, in the first five innings. So, that's a that's a really interesting number. Almost like, hey, you know, wait on the wait, wait on the tribe and then bet them late and live betting. So that that, that is interesting to me, Gil. Yeah. Um. Again, especially with Savali doing so well, as we just talked about, imagine how bad they must be beyond him in first five betting this year. So again, how much of this is predictive and how much of this is narrative? You wouldn't expect the tribe to continue to be that bad first five, would you? No. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where you know Cleveland their bullpen is so strong. So, you know, 
I don't know. I think if you bet him, maybe that's the way to bet him is to is to wait, you know, till the games in the fourth or fifth inning and then, and then live bet him uh, because of their bullpen. All right, these are proprietary stats. You'll only get this here on a numbers game at Visa and the Sports Betting Network. This is first inning pitchers, first inning pitcher performance confined to just the first inning itself. Uh, opponent on base average. I could do batting average. I could do slugging percentage. I'm going to go with on base average for uh, opponents. A uh, minimum 55 plate appearances against. Who do you think the worst? Uh, there's no way. I'll give you 100 guesses. You won't come up with this. Worst pitcher in baseball first inning. Brad Keller. A 485 opponents on base percentage. Patrick Corbin, 450. Garrett Richards, 448. Dane Dunning, who we've mentioned, 443. Uh, Dean Kramer, 439. Shohei Otani, by the way, for those wondering, seventh worst first inning pitcher and on base at 435. It should be noted that his batting average against is not that bad. It's just all those walks that he gives up. You know, 227 batting average is pretty good, but a 435 on base, seventh worst, worst first inning pitcher in baseball this year. Carlos Martinez is ninth worst. No surprise there. Nick Pavetta, 10th. By the way, the single best, Mike Miner. 188 on base against you, Darvish, 203 against Walker Bueller, 213 against Lance Lynn, 214 against, and Max Scherzer, 228 against. Hmm, interesting. Anything uh, surprising there on either end? No, not I mean, where, where does uh, uh, DeGrom, uh, where does he, he land? Do you have that by any chance? That is a good question. I would, I would have, I'm surprised he's not in there. Hmm, let's see here. Maybe it's because it's 55 plate appearances again. What if I lower that? Let me lower that. Let me throw it in the old database here. If I lower it to, to minimum plate appearances against, it's a great question because I can't find DeGrom offhand. I would have thought he would have had 55. Maybe I'm just not seeing his name. Let's see what happens here when I reset. By the way, uh, Trevor Bauer is, is one of the top 10 best in terms of first inning performance. I don't know if we'll ever see Trevor Bauer again or not. But I can't find DeGrom in all of this. So, and, sorry to put you on the spot, Gil. I was just saying, because no, I know it's right. good. In oh, the here it is. So I lowered, here it is, and there's your answer. So I lowered it from 55 minimum plate appearances against to 45 randomly. He is the single best. So that was the all problem. Right. Uh, 109 on base against. Oh, my God. He's, like, way better than anybody. I probably went too high on the plate appearances. So DeGrom is the best in every category. A 0.89 batting average against, a 109 on base against, and a 222 slugging against in the first innings. Ridiculous. Yeah, he's probably not going to hit that plate appearance threshold because he's going one, two, three every time. Yeah, out. That's, that's that's the funny. problem. That's the problem. No, thank you for asking me that. And then it and then it's Vincent Velasquez, uh, Vincent Velasquez, and then it's the guys I mentioned: Mike Miner, Yu Darvish, Dylan Bundy ends up in there as one of the best when I lower the plate appearances. Walker Bueller, Lance Lynn, Max Scherzer, and so on. So there you go. Jacob DeGrom, by far the best. No surprise there. Uh, anyway, that's interesting, folks. Carlos Rodon is a top 20 guy first inning. He's uh, next in the uh, NL. Excuse me. He's he's second to, I should say, Garrett Cole in the AL Cy Young market. And I don't think Garrett Cole should be anywhere near the top of that, as we've talked about. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. 
I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And now back at Circa for our uh, mid-season podcast continuation. It's Gil Alexander right here, of course, at the main studio, VEASAN's main studio at Circa with Paul Spohr from Fangraphs, the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, and his own uh, Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash where he plays MLB the show into all hours of the night. I'm still going to get there one night, Paul. One night, I will show up. I look forward to it. Just come through. Come, Just come through. Come through. I'll be the oldest dude. You, you are. You are more. You are more than welcome. No, no. I mean, listen. I actually run a little bit of an older uh, uh, viewer base than most people on Twitch. Oh, okay. Just because, uh, believe it or not, I'm I'm more mature, at least relative to the general tenor of Twitch. So you'll fit. You'll fit in. Don't worry. I, I promise. Believe it. I do believe that. And uh, Jason Weingarten uh, at Spreadopedia, Point Spread Weekly Writer. And, of course, professional baseball better from under a cloud of smoke in Southern Cali. Thank you both. Uh, I thought at first what I would do is just go through some of the things. And by the way, Matt Vaskersian uh, could not be here. Um, quite frankly, did not get back to me. So that's a whole thing. We got to work that out. Uh, but Matt was with us uh, on our preseason podcast. And we went through all kinds of things, division by division, what we thought. We went through MVP awards, what we thought there. Cy Young's. I think we went through home runs as well. Um, and that's where, frankly, I ran out of time. But there's only a few minutes left, so I think that's all we got to. But just to review, um, let's go through this, and you guys can feel free to react, whatever, uh, because in the process, we'll talk about the good predictions and the bad ones. Uh, Ed, uh, American League East, Red Sox were 23-1 to to win the AL East before the season started. None of us talked about them. Uh, Vaskersian liked the Jays at their preflop value at plus 520. Jason, you liked the Yankees at minus 200. Paul, you like the value on both the Jays and the Rays, so we kind of were all over the place uh, in that one. And uh, we'll get your review on all these afterwards, which which sort of stick out amongst these. At AL Central, I was just laughing almost at the ridiculousness. Of, and this is where it's just so funny to go back and realize how sure you are of certain things, and then here we are, you know, roughly 81 games later, and you're like, oh, uh, yeah. White Sox, there were head-to-heads offered at DraftKings. The White Sox were minus 12 and a half games versus the Cubs for the season. Thanks to this recent Cubs swoon, the difference in uh, wins is 80, is eight games, pardon me, eight games right now with the White Sox having 150 and the Cubs having 142. So it's roughly, I don't know, it's 50 and 35 and the Cubs are 42 and 44. So what's that? Eight and a half games ahead. Here we are just past the halfway point of the season. So 
And I just thought that was ridiculous that the White Sox were giving that many games because Bakota had the White Sox down and the Cubs up. And anyway, joke could be on me. Then I was also laughing at the fact that the Twins were plus 135 versus the White Sox. Oh, that's funny. Uh, so that's ridiculous. By the way, the White Sox were eight or nine games behind the Twins in Bakota. The White Sox were only minus 112 to win the division. Both of you guys like Kansas City. That was kind of your value play there. How are you feeling about that, guys? Royals at 36 and 49. Not so hot right now? I bet on them today. Did no, you really? Not so What great. did you bet? Uh, them to win. To win? What number did you get? Yeah, their individual uh, game, one, I think. One, 130, 133. Oh, to win today, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I meant like just, just yeah. today. Oh, Against Sunny <laughs> I, thought, I thought for a second you were like, yeah, I bet them to win the division. Yeah, okay. I was going to say Jason doubling down on the Kansas City uh, Royals. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, no, we're, we're done with that. We're done with that. Yeah, Astros... We're minus 124 versus the A's in head-to-heads there before the season started. Uh, Jason, you were down on both Houston and Oakland. Paul, you disagreed with Jason on both Oakland and Houston. You were like, no, I like both of these teams. You also like the Mariners as a dark horse. Wow, Spore coming up big in the AL Central, uh, AL West here. And Jason, you like the Angels, but that you know assumed Mike Trout would be around, so I guess that's kind of unfair. But the Mariners, let me just ask you this. We'll just stop here. It's not so bad. No, that's pretty good, man. You were awesome. Mariners are 45 and 41. Well, I was going to say. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, I think we have a little bit of a delay here, Gil. I'm sorry. But I, I was going to say, Jason, uh, for 500 for the Angels without Trout right now, that's actually not too bad to be where, where they are right now. Um, they could make a second half surge if Trout comes back and he's himself and they maybe add a piece or two. Jason. Not bad, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do have a serious delay, don't we? Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, not bad at all. And you, Paul, the Mariners at 45 and 41. Jason and I were talking about this a little on the radio side this morning. You think they are buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? I think they should find a way to to buy on the margins. Obviously, they're not going to get rid of any high-impact prospects. Um, they can buy internally, which is obviously not buying, but like bringing up Kelnick again and seeing where he's at because nobody really believes that he's a flop. So I think some pieces internally coming up and maybe a fringe piece for the rotation and or bullpen is the way that they should go right now because they know that they're not fully ready, but they also shouldn't just pack it in and start selling off, you know, um, aged pieces either. I think that would be a mistake to like sell Hanniger and Kendall Graveman for sure. Yeah. And that would, you know, at some point you don't want to send a message to your fan base like, hey, we're good. Now we're just going to throw away everybody. If they can get somebody, somebody young for Hanniger, that exactly. would be sort of the only uh, justification. Uh, NL East, because I want to get through these preseason uh, quick to get your thoughts moving forward. NL East, uh, Matt Vaskersian, who was kind enough to join us again, uh, the preseason podcast. Uh, he liked the Braves, but said that if you wanted him to get sexy with the pick, he'd take the Nats. Paul, you love the Nats. Uh, and right now, to be honest with you, that's looking not too shabby. Four and a half back, but a couple games below 500 in the NL East, which is just a total scrum at this point. Uh, Jason, you said you don't like anybody. You're just going to bet the NL East games day to day, which probably is was good advice. Uh, Paul, you did say don't sleep on Trevor Rogers with the Marlins. Just wanted to point that out. And Matt liked the Phillies as a dark horse. 
But there was no real definitive. The Nats was the most conviction, I think, Paul, you had on anybody there. And then the NL Central, the preseason numbers on the NL Central, the Cardinals were plus 130. The Brewers were plus 275. Your Reds were plus 295. The Cubs were plus 695. And the Pirates were 155 to 1. (laughs) Pocota had it, Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals (laughs) in that order. And the only four teams that had scoring fewer runs than the Cardinals were the Marlins, Pirates, Giants, and Rockies in the uh, NL Central. Fangraphs, your fangraphs, Paul, where you work, had every team under 500 in the NL Central. And by the way, besides the Brewers, they're not that far off with that. Um, And then the other thing was, uh, and Jason, you had no bets in the NL Central. Dodgers, Padres, everybody was on them in the NL West. Of course, the Dodgers, everybody believed in them to, to win the World Series, or at least to get there. I did mention that I love the Giants, but that's nothing surprising. Um, and season win totals was not a market we gravitated towards, Jason, you and me. So that was a little different this year. Here's where it gets interesting, I think. Uh, American League MVP. Shohei, uh, Jason, you had a 33-1 to ticket on Shohei. Do you remember what you said that day? Um, not exactly, but I have a, a fairly good idea what I said. You said there's a 50-1 there's a at William Hill. I think I'll go for that. Maybe it was 15 to 1. I think you said 50 to 1. But here was your quote. I don't know how much more I want of Shohei. Eh, I might get a little more. <laughs> Unquote. <laughs> uh, which you have gotten a lot more of since. And then I went ahead with the whole thing where I was like, hey, if he goes, and I'll tell you the exact numbers I gave. If Shohei goes 12 and 6 as a pitcher and has a 3.30 ERA, has 22 homers and 77 ribbies, and let's say hits 270, would he be an MVP candidate? And of course... Not only is he 4-1 with a 3.49 ERA, although with walk problems, he has 31 homers, 68 ribbies, and, 200, and his batting average is 276 already. Uh, the only other men- names we mentioned for AL MVP, Kyle Tucker. Paul, you liked him. You did think Teoscar Hernandez was overvalued everywhere. And then for NL MVP. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that. You liked... Uh, you, for NL MVP, you did say you liked Trey Turner at 50-1. to 1, And the question I asked about Juan Soto is what I now apply to Vladimir Guerrero, which is I asked during that podcast, I was like, hey, if Juan Soto wins the Triple Crown, do you think he's a lock or do you think someone else might get it? And, of course, we could ask that about Vladimir Guerrero now. Anyway, that was the whole thing. And then, Jason, the biggest thing you had going besides Shohei was you had DeGrom at 5-1. to 1. You had him... He was plus 375 at the time, but you already had a 5-1 to one ticket on, on NL Cy Young, so you were already killing it on that. Um, and then with home runs, Jason, you had Vladimir Guerrero, so you were you were all over the place, but there was you know no mention of Shohei. Anyway, guys, what's the most, uh, of all those, sorry to ramble, what's the most, what's the thing that's the most hilarious? What are you most proud of? Paul, start with you. Well, obviously, I'm I'm quite proud of my my AL West prowess yes. there with the uh, with the Astros, A's, and even the Mariners as a dark horse. That feels pretty good. Um, you know, there, nothing stands out to me as like I'm not super embarrassed by. I'm still a little bit nervous about the Red Sox uh, and their home run suppression good fortune. I don't know that it can last all year. They're better than I thought, though, so I, I'm definitely going to take the L on that. I have no problem doing that. 
Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, obviously when you make these preseason predictions, you know that everything's not going to be uh, exactly correct. But I don't uh, I don't feel that my processes or, or any of the three of us were super far off in our processes to the point where uh, we can laugh at each other and poke fun because it's, it's good natured. But I don't think anybody was like way out of bounds in things that they thought fundamentally in terms of determining why they liked certain players or teams. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And uh, Jason Otani and DeGrom, Vlad Guerrero, you were, I mean, you're dead on on all those, really. Oh, well, thank you. It's a nice position to be in halfway through the season, but, uh, you know, I don't like to celebrate futures early because last year I uh, Fernando Tatis was the MVP, and then he wasn't. Fernando Tatis was the MVP, and then he was not. All right, so moving forward then, um, while that was all fun and games, here we are, you know, just past the midway point of the season. Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, if we go to the best sort of division plays out there, and I know, uh, and I'll and I'll cite odds to you as you request them. But right now, as you look at all these divisions and you think to yourself, what's the team that you can see either being a buyer at the trade deadline or that they've underperformed, and you think they've got an outside shot to win the division? Where might a bet be? How many people are tired of me talking about the Reds? Raise your hand. I am not. It's probably everybody, and I understand because. I, I never shut up about them, but I'm still on this ball club because they have not given me any reasons to not be. They're 44 and 40. They are a good bit behind the Brewers after the Brewers' big surge, and I do still like that Brewers club. So it's going to be tough, but it's not impossible. They should be buying. Now, they cried poor, and they discussed maybe trading Castillo and Gray um, this past offseason, which thankfully they didn't do. That would have been a slap in the face to their fans. But I think they should go out and buy as well, buy on the margins. Yeah, they don't have to go and get the biggest pieces out there, but my God, do they need bullpen. If they're not talking, I know it's hard to do intra-division, but if they're not talking to the Cubs about Kimbrel and the Pirates about Rich Rod, then they're idiots. I mean, even Ian Kennedy, I know he has home run issues, so going to Cincy wouldn't be great, but anything would be better than what they have. So they need like two or three bullpen pieces. Tony Santian's going to come up and be in that bullpen. That will help. Castillo has found his form again which is basically an addition in and of itself because of how bad he was. I still really like this Reds team. They're in second place. I doubt there's great odds on any of the first place teams. So the Reds are still where I would focus most right now if I were coming in making a fresh bet for the second half. And they're 10-1 to 1 to win the NL Central. They're six and a half games back. And according to the good folks at Tankathon, which I usually use for the NBA, but they also do baseball stuff as it turns out, they have the Reds with the fifth easiest schedule the rest of the way based on opponents' win percentages. So that kind of lines up kind of nicely. Jason, same question. Um, well, first, I, I also like the Reds, and Paul is dead on. They need bullpen pieces. I was watching the game last night, and I was very frustrated with how they were pitching out of the bullpen. Um, that's a good bet. I saw as high as 12-1 to 1 today. You know that my pick for a division bet right now would be the Nationals at six to one. I saw seven to one at DraftKings earlier when I was looking around. Um, one of the main things, the reasons I like I like the uh, Nationals is that they have a they have a stretch in the second half, or the Mets actually have a stretch in the second half where they have 25 games with uh, 13 of those home and away versus the Dodgers and Giants and the Nats on both sides of that. And I think it's a, a very good three-week stretch for the Mets to make up any of their remaining games on the 
the the Mets by then. Yeah, Nationals seven to one at DraftKings. All these are DraftKings, by the way, to win the NL East. They're four and a half back. Phillies are between the Mets and the Nationals. Just as uh, well, the Reds are actually second to the Brewers, so not just as the Reds were in the previous conversation, but the Nats four and a half back with the Phillies in between them and the Mets seven to one. And according to Tankathon, um, Washington uh, middle of the road in terms of uh, the the schedule. But as you were saying, Jason. And I'll get the actual uh, numbers per our conversation. But Nationals, really easy schedule. Mets, kind of difficult as well. So that plays out nicely for them. Nationals, sort of easy on the front end after the All-Star break and really easy down the stretch. The middle area here in the second half of the season, um, that will test their mettle. But other than that, they're bookended by pretty easy stretches. Always tough to do the schedule game, but it does give, as the schedule lessens, it does give some sort of sense of what remains in front of these teams. You like that Nats. You you were always in the tank. We just mentioned before the season started, you loved the Nats then. Would you play that too, Paul, at 7-1? Yes, I would. Um, I definitely think this is a team that's shown that they'll be aggressive, and losing Schwarber obviously really hurts, but I think that they're going to go out and make a move. It could be a very high-impact move. You know, rentals don't cost what they used to anymore, so they can find a key rental out there uh, for that offense, maybe a little bullpen for them as well, and go get it. In fact, they love trading with the Pirates, so don't be surprised if maybe Rich Rod uh, ends up there. Now, I know it's a new regime there, but I'm sure there's still some links between the Nats and Pirates front offices that maybe they get that deal going, uh, but they could use they could use a big piece as well, and Rich Rod would be a great right-handed compliment to Brad Hand, who's pitching remarkably well this year, too, so I'm, I'm still in on the Nats right there with Jason. All right, um, and I didn't get a chance to ask you this, Paul, but Yankees... Do you, they don't really have selling at the trade deadline in their DNA. Would you make any bets on the Yankees beyond, forget the AL East for a second, but as far as a pennant, as far as a World Series, or do you consider the Yankees to be a fine baseball club, but they're just not a World Series team this year? That's I, I tend to lean toward the latter there. Fine baseball club, better than one game over 500, but not necessarily a contender this year because I think getting into the playoffs is going to be very difficult for them. We already know how tough their division is, and no matter what I say about the Red Sox, the more they keep winning, the banked wins that they have, they're going to be tough to catch. So now that there's three teams between them and the division for the Yankees, what moves can they really make to completely fortify and, and, and turn this around? I'm reluctant to completely bury them, but yeah, I think they're going to end up, even if they get a wild card, I wouldn't necessarily see them going all the way this year. The pitching just isn't there. Put aside Cole's troubles, because I don't really think that they're much more than a blip right now. And I know they kind of coincide with the spider tack, but I don't think he's made off that. Who else do they have? Who do you trust there? And then they have the weird version of the bridge to the closer is good, but the closer is bad. It's usually the other way around. So they might consider maybe moving a couple pieces without burying or anything. They're not going to sell, but I, I could see them actually moving a piece or two and kind of set themselves up in a better position for 2021 or 2022. Excuse me. I asked Jason these questions on the radio side. I've asked this of both of you on the radio side. So for, for the podcast audience, Jacob deGrom, we talked about this a little this morning, obviously the Cy Young favorite by a mile in the national league. But MVP, he's right around even money, plus 115 in some spots. So he's the short shot. And Jason, you were saying today that not only, of course, is he a starting pitcher, who obviously only shows up every five days or so, 
but he doesn't really log a lot of innings ultimately this year with a lot of, you know, with a few of his starts sort of being abridged, if you will. And you don't think he should be the MVP front runner in the NL? I don't think 160 innings or 170 innings is enough to win a pitcher the MVP over, say, Fernando Tatis or Ronald Acuna, who are having incredibly good seasons, you know, to say nothing about Nick Castellanos, who, who I actually want to win. Um, no, I don't, I don't think DeGrom should be even money. Uh, I, I just don't. Like, uh, 160 innings is, isn't enough. That would be the lowest amount any Cy Young pitch who's not a reliever. So, you know, I, I think he's a lock for the Cy Young if he stays healthy, but no chance at MVP for me. Wow. See, this is so hard because we're handicapping humans with awards. And I just keep thinking to myself, if he, I mean, even that outing the other day, when he gave up three earned runs, Paul, in the first inning, he ended up with seven innings, only those three earned runs given up, 14 Ks and no walks. And you're like, oh, that's the worst DeGrom we're ever going to see. And even if it is 160, let's say 160 innings, if his ERA is like 0.7 whatever and all his other stats are just just sick, but a guy like Tatis or Acuna hits, I don't know, 50 homers with 130 RBI, I just, I just wonder what voters will do with that. And I'm not as, I understand Jason's point, I'm not as sure as he is. I think I still might vote for DeGrom. I don't have a vote. I'm not sure where you come down on that. Yeah, I, I I understand what uh, what Jason's saying with regards to the innings. If he is more at like 175 or something, uh, but if you look, you know, you can make the case uh, like batters faced versus plate appearances, right? In terms of impacting the games that they're in. I know they go once every fifth day, but he impacts the game in such a significant way when he does play that when you start to do that math there, it kind of checks out a little bit more. Plus, you have the fact with somebody like DeGrom that he adds a little bit to the hitting. And this year, it's been a lot of bit, but I'm not necessarily thinking that he's going to hold an 806 OPS. But that's a little extra juice on the side. I will say, though, with the way Tatis and Acuna are trending, uh, I think they're they're darn near like 40-20 uh, type seasons with good batting averages on contending teams. I think in the end, it'll probably still go to a hitter, especially if he comes short of that 200 inning mark, which he's almost certain to do DeGrom is I just don't know that voters are going to want to vote an MVP pitcher that uh, doesn't have that giant workload because they not every guy makes not every guy and gal makes the link of batters faced versus plate appearances to show that it's actually pretty close because he has 300 batters faced right now and um, Tatis has 293 plate appearances so they're not too far off in terms of that now there's also defensive chances for Tatis uh, but there's also the plate appearances for DeGrom so the math ends up working pretty close but I agree it's probably unlikely if Tatis or Cunha or Turner or Castellanos or some other guy emerges with just a devastatingly good season offensively but if it's not DeGrom it's not like either of you are racing to bet a specific player for NL MVP at this point are you Correct. I've picked off I've picked off a couple numbers in the last month or so. Um, Max Muncy, two hundred to one, was one of the better ones I liked. Um, Castellanos, I had early, so I, I haven't added much more. I, I added a little bit because he was like thirty-three to one. Um, but I mean, it's just like like Paul said, you look at Tatis and Acuna, and it's just really hard to uh, 
to to want to bet against them. Just not there's there's not good odds on them. So I'm I'm just kind of chilling. And you know we were just we we missed on Seager early and had a bunch on that. Yeah. But I think the key the key was is that we were looking for the number two hitter in the Dodgers lineup, who was going to be Seager. And now I, I doubled down on that with uh, with Max Muncy. Hmm. So. That makes sense. I I got. I got beat with so many injuries in my preseason award, like Seager and Soto. Like my whole thing is riddled. Cabrian Hayes, right? Like every rookie of the year, that's brutal. E- everything just got destroyed, pretty much. Hayes, Hayes, Hayes can still win. He can still win. Um, Soto, I think Soto can still win. I think I saw some like sixty to one, and his uh, his his advanced stats all basically are like. You know the same as Fernando Tatis, his hard hits and everything, his barrels. He's he's the best player in baseball. It's not Mike Trout still. He is, but you know, I, I had him. Paul and I actually have him together for most hits uh, at seventy-five to one. And when you lose all those games, all those counting stats, it's just so hard to make up that stuff. So again, betting him sort of in the wrong market, maybe, or or maybe it's just not going to work out for him in any market. The um, the other thing is okay. So the AL. Because obviously NL Cy Young, it's Degrom's period. I don't know what would have to if Degrom never pitched another pitch the rest of the year. I think he's still the NL Cy Young Award winner. In the AL, though, it's a little different. So we'll get to MVP in a second. But AL Cy Young, we've both talked. We've all talked about this on the radio side. But Garrett Cole, obviously one of the biggest victims of spin rate. That was the other funny thing about listening back to our podcast with Vascursion is we were like, oh, there's five ballparks with humidors, and we don't even know what they are. And then we had no idea there was going to be like. You know, such a muted run environment. Now, all of a sudden, a crackdown on on grip with pitchers. And who knows if it's that or if it's, you know, the weather, the climate changing. Obviously, at this time of the summer, that's creating a better run environment. But obviously, Cole is is the biggest culprit, along with the Trevor Bowers of the world, who has all kinds of other problems now, obviously. Uh, his, his performance, Cole's, has dropped off a cliff. And you wonder if he'll get it together a little bit to be, you know, to improve from what he, from how it's going right now. But there is doubt as to whether or not he'll ever get back to elite this year, because obviously he was one of the biggest people that was concerned about this crackdown. He was very public about it. If he and he is still the favorite to win the AL Cy Young, I don't think he should be, based on what we've seen. Like I think that's a terrible bet right now. Do you agree with that? And if it's not Cole, who's the guy? Because my conclusion is it isn't the most sexy thing to say, but like I think Carlos Rodon has the most awesome advanced stats and the most sustainable numbers, and he's like plus 325. Paul, let's start with you. Do you think Cole should be the favorite? And if not Cole, then who? No, Cole should not be the favorite, and I agree that it should be Rodon. Um, you know, I think there's a strong case for the White Sox to just kind of keep going with him. Yes, he has a lot of injury history. That is not very good, but, you know, I, I hate to be callous about it, but they only have him on a one-year deal, and this is their window to win. They've got to go. I don't think they can let up with him. Obviously they might spread him out a little bit, skip a start one or two here and there, but that shouldn't cost him the potential at the Cy Young. I think this is a great dream season for Rodon. And if he stays healthy, he's absolutely got to have a great shot right now. I know Eovaldi's having a great year and I've been a long time Eovaldi guy. 
Gil, I think you and I probably talked about Eovaldi back on oh. the Dodgers, and I was probably yes. pumping him up. But I don't fully believe in everything he's doing this year with the home run suppression because he doesn't have a lot of Ks. It's a lot of control more so than command. I'm just a little nervous about him. So I'd love to pivot to Eovaldi there. I might if the number was right, but I, I'm with you on Rodon. If Cole found fell to a good enough number, I'd be interested, but I doubt he is. I haven't seen any markets that, that jump out to me. Maybe another bad start would get him there, and then I could jump. But as it stands right now, he, Cole is still overpriced. Rodon, maybe Eovaldi on a on a hunch, um, and then otherwise you're looking for a dark horse somewhere. Yeah, and Rodon, like I know some people are listening to this and like, ah, plus 325, that doesn't sound that great. But like, think about Jason having DeGrom at 5-1 to one in his pocket or plus 450 or whatever he had. Uh, all those DeGrom tickets, that seems pretty darn good right about now. So, like, plus 325 in the worst thing in the world. And it's funny because Rodon was a guy who, when he first came up, I probably lost the first five or six times I ever bet on that guy because he had such a walk problem. And I was like, he's great. For sure. I'm going for it. And I would lose every time. But he's he's killed those walks. It's no longer a problem. Jason, if not Garrett Cole, then who? The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Uh, I bet Zach Greinke at 80 to 1 about a week ago. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm not super confident in him, but I do think he's going to be a 200 inning guy. And I only saw like six or eight pitchers in the AL that are going to most likely reach the 200 inning mark. Um, I bet Chris Bassett yesterday at 65 to one, and he proceeded to have his worst start of the season. <laughs> I Astros. love when that happens. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I got, uh, <laughs> I got the tail end of that. It was as high as 100 and 200 to one a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm thinking he might be a down ballot guy, but uh, Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn, uh, Lance Lynn wrote on and Liam Hendricks, I guess would have an outside case if you were including relievers. Um, I just don't think they have good odds. Uh, wrote on and, and Lynn in particular under 10 to one. I wouldn't really touch either. Um, it's a tough market. It's probably my least favorite market of the year. Still, even, you know, I said before the season, I didn't want to bet anything and I bet a couple things and it's still kind of 
not not very uh, exciting to me. Um, Kyle Gibson, that was the other one. I bet I, I tried to bet Kyle Gibson at seventy to one. He's he's having an incredible year. He's just unfortunately on a bad team. I can't see yeah. him win. He also might, he also might get traded to an NL team in a couple weeks. Last thing before we get to that, because I do want to ask about trade yeah, deadline. They should trade him. The uh, the last thing was is MVP. So Otani versus Vlad. It's a two man race. And we've already talked about like what you know. It's like the uh, Lamelo Ball thing. How many games would Otani, or how deep into the season would he have to go where it was enough for him to be the MVP? Jason, you said 120 games, and it's come up, uh, Paul. If if he has a few more, two or three more bad starting pitching performances, like the 41 pitch effort the other day, where he only went two thirds of an inning, where the walks came back in the first inning. Do you think that could hamper his MVP candidacy? Because the reason he's the favorite is not only because he has 31 homers and is great from, you know, as a hitter, but it's because he's like Babe Ruth, right? He's Ruthian. And Bill Simmons had this great comment. Jason Kahn, my producer, was telling me about at his latest podcast where he's like, if this were the 80s, like where baseball was bigger than it is now, we would not stop talking about what Shohei Otani is doing. But since it's now and there's every, you know, baseball is not what it was and because he plays for the Angels, quite frankly, it's like the Angels are are missing this opportunity. Like they're wasting this on the on the Los Angeles Angels, right? Because they are just who they are and can't seem to coalesce. And obviously they have the injury to Trout too. But if he has a couple more of these, a few more of these, do you think that hurts his MVP candidacy? Like wouldn't that follow? Yeah, I mean, if he has a few more like that, by the way, this is not the same thing because it did not hurt me financially um, the way it did with uh, or potentially with Bassett for Jason. But literally the day before he had that brutal outing in New York, I was like just slam dunking all over trolls on Twitter about how much better he is than Vlad as a candidate for the MVP because he has all this pitching and you're not giving enough credit to the pitching. And then he goes out and gives up seven earned. And my mentions were a mess because people (laughs) were rightly clowning me back. But, uh, you know, a couple more like that. Yes. But that's such an anomaly of an outing that I don't think that I'm too worried that he's going to have a couple more starts to that degree of failure. I do worry that the walks can turn at any moment. The splitter is a feel pitch. We saw this with Kevin Gossman for years that where it went in and out, but I do have it on good authority via some folks, um, that work in the KBO and have have been in the KBO that Asian pitchers in general do not generally doctor the ball much. So this change of not being able to use stuff is not something that's inherently going to affect somebody like Otani necessarily as much as it might his American counterparts. So I don't think that that had anything to do with the, uh, with the bad inning in, uh, in Yankee stadium or anything like that. I think any issues that he has are of his own volition and the struggles that he has with the splitter. If he can avoid any more of those, that bad, of starts and as long as his ERA is I'd say 420 and under then everyone will see it as a positive once you start getting into the mid fours people will start to wrongly by the way say that that's a negative even if he's a 450 pitcher that's still very positive but people will perceive it differently as long as he's under four I think he's a lock for the MVP if it starts to meander toward 420 then the questions come in especially if Vlad wins the triple crown even though the triple crown 
I'm not that impressed by it. Like they're, they're overlapping stats. They, they it that doesn't mean as much to me as if you won the triple crown of average OBP and slug, which he also might do, by the way. Vlad is a god, and he absolutely deserves to be in this conversation. But for me, it's Otani easily right now. Yeah, and I think that's that's like we, we touched on this in the preseason podcast too, because you you were very articulate about it, which is, you know, for 45 years between 1967 and the year 2012. Carl Yastrzemski won it in 1967. Home runs, RBIs, average, triple crown. And it was this thing for 45 years. It was like, nobody can do it again. Nobody can do it again. And so when Miguel Cabrera did it in 2012, and it was like the, the Trout versus Cabrera thing, there was sentiment among voters. Well, you, I mean, triple crown. We've been talking about this for 45 years. We've got to give this to Cabrera. And that may have been right or wrong. But I think you're right. I think we are sophisticated enough to know now that those baseball card stats, what we deemed as the, you know, the holy trinity, the triple crown, it just doesn't mean as much anymore now that that is sort of out of the way. Yeah. And so if Vlad wins it, the the notion, if we went back in time and said to somebody, you know, in 1985, hey, someone's going to win the Triple Crown and not going to win the MVP, it would like our heads would explode. But now <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, he shouldn't because this guy's doing what Babe Ruth was doing. I mean, it's even more unbelievable. And so I guess there's two questions. So one is a statement is one, anybody who has the notion to bet Vlad you're just betting against a Shohei injury, I think, at this point. Would you, Jason, I know you have a 33-1 to 1 on Shohei. I have a 4-1, to 1 and I'm thrilled with it, right? Would you, if somebody came to you right now and said, hey, so should I bet Shohei at this number, head-to-head against Vlad, basically, would you tell them no? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage laying, you know, minus 160 or whatever it is, whatever the best number you can get, you're going to be laying a price, so... No, I, I wouldn't encourage it at this point. Um, I think maybe you would get more value if you had access to the Westgate and you could bet Otani to hit the most home runs. It's still like two to one or three to one. Um, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet him at MVP at this point. I'm not. I'm not sure I would bet Vlad either at the market price. I would. I would consider betting Vlad just as insurance if I could get like four to one or five to one, but. Not at not at the market price. The, the thing is, at this point, you really just gotta sit and watch the second half, and you know, kind of just just hold your position. By the way, how how rampant are those home run markets? Only the Westgate has them. Does anybody else put them up still? Will Will Hill has them, but I I don't I don't think I have access to them, so I, I never pay attention. Yeah. Um. I I always check I always check Westgate because they tend to update their numbers daily. Shohei with 31, Vlad with 28 as we do this here uh, just before, five days before the All-Star break. And then there's, you know, then there's all the usual suspects behind, though, right? Tatis and Acuna. I feel like I was saying this to you this morning. I feel like Acuna really hasn't gone full throttle Acuna yet. Like, we're still about to get that, I think, at some point. And then there's our guy, Adalas Garcia, which we have at 100 to 1. We're saying he's, he's 10 behind all of a sudden with just 21 homers. For a second there, uh, we were co-leaders at 16. That's how unbelievable it's been with Otani and the rest of those guys just hitting balls. Guerrero, obviously, too, hitting balls out of the park. All right, so last thing then, guys, as we sit here, um, trade deadline looms at the end of July, so it's 24 days away. We talked about division plays. Is there any team that we didn't mention, Paul, that someone out there is thinking to themselves, well, I don't know, maybe it's the Blue Jays, um, maybe it is the Giants who lead in the NL West and might make moves themselves, have the best record in baseball, at least still at this very moment. Is there a team we haven't mentioned that you're thinking to yourself, 
they might be a sneaky pennant future or even a World Series future. Not saying that they'll actually win those respective things, but that you'll have enough equity in the number where you could actually play with it once the playoffs get there, assuming they get there. How about Oakland? Um, you, you know, you got to secure a wild card or 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 thwart the uh, thwart the Astros. I don't think they will, but they're only four games out, so it wouldn't be insane to see them do that. I think they're poised here nicely. They've kind of had a quiet first half. Nobody's really talking about them. Bassett's having his breakout, as Jason highlighted. Uh, Sean Manaya might be another under-the-radar AL Cy Young candidate, by the way. He's killing it. Now, he has some health issues, too. They're going to need to keep him healthy. James Caprillion's a hot rookie. Longtime prospect finally panning out for them on the heels of that Sonny Gray trade years ago. And they're not afraid to make moves and sometimes high impact moves. I still think that Trevor Story fits there very well. As a rental, he will not cost them an arm and a leg. They can move something of, of substance over to Colorado. But it, again, it does not have to decimate the Oakland system. Elvis Andrews is not high, you know, pushing him out in any way, shape or form. He gets in that lineup. All of a sudden you got uh, that big bat coming in. If Chapman can get himself going, they've got the pieces, whether it's lineup, defense, starting pitching and bullpen. I still like Oakland as a sneak tip. Uh, and then, like you said, as long as they get in, then you can kind of play with that number if you've got them for a pennant or a World Series. So yeah. Oakland's my pick on that. Trevor Story, maybe the biggest name in free agency at the trade deadline. Twins have a couple of players, Cruz and Barrios, all kinds of players that would just look awesome in another uniform. Uh, Jason, same question. Is there is there someone who might have some futures equity in the postseason that we haven't mentioned? Paul went with the A's. Uh, I think the Phillies would be the other team to take a look at. Not not necessarily a division future, but a pennant future. Um, I, I tend to look at AL, NL pennant futures instead of World Series because I'd rather, you know, win my money on that second to last leg as opposed to waiting to the final leg and right. losing or something. Um, so I do a lot of that. I would I'd probably look at yeah. the Phillies. They have uh, they have Wheeler and Nola up top, and I look at teams. Typically, I'm saying, well, who could beat the Dodgers? How could they beat the Dodgers? And you look at the Phillies, they have Real Mudo, Harper, you know, top top tier players, real, you know, good guys, MVP caliber, whatever you want to call them. They have Zach Wheeler, who's probably the second best pitcher in baseball, <clears throat> or second best pitcher in the NL, at least. And Aaron Nola, also a good guy. And sometimes Dodgers bats just go cold. Like you saw it versus the Marlins this week. They lost back-to-back uh, -back one run games. <clears throat> you know, you could just, you know, go in there with Wheeler and Nola and upset the Dodgers. I, I don't think it's, it's you know, a huge possibility, but it's definitely a possibility that the, the Phillies have a good second half and make the playoffs. I would, uh, I'd probably look at them if I wasn't already on the Nats. Yeah, how good is Wheeler, by the way? If, if it weren't for DeGrom, we would be talking about Wheeler all the time. But DeGrom is just so off the charts. Mm -hmm. That thing you mentioned also about going for the pennant rather than the World Series. Wasn't that, didn't we talk about that, Jason, like with the Mattress Mac guys who were helping him out? And, and Anthony Curtis and his buddy Frank, they know what they're doing in terms of hedging and stuff. But wasn't that like our criticism of it? We're like, why didn't they, why didn't they have Mattress Mac winning the pennant rather than the World Series. Do you remember having that conversation or am I, am I imagining that? No, we, def we definitely had that conversation because I've talked about that before. Like I had it with the Bucks last year in the NFL. I had them to win the NFC and not the Super Bowl. 
you know, you just sometimes you could do both, you know, yeah. as well. You don't, you can, you don't have to stick to one, but I just prefer to, I, I call it front legging it, but I, I just prefer to do the, the short, the pennant feature. All right, guys. Then in the end, we still think same. The one thing that we still uh, stick by that we had uh, before the season, we still think the Dodgers, unless, you know, again, anything can happen in a postseason series. But we still think the Dodgers are the uh, the leader in the clubhouse, even despite perhaps not having Trevor Bauer to win it all. And if so, who do they play in the World Series, Paul? Uh, yes, they are. And I'm sorry to go boring, but but Houston is a is a. I still love that club I think so too. and uh, they could also add if they have supplemental pieces. So yeah, I know it's a little boring for folks cause we've seen it and they've been kind of the leaders over the last few years, but that's, that's my world series. I'm yeah. not going to make it too complicated. I think I agree with you completely. I think it's, I think that's almost clearer than anything. Jason, what about you? If I say Dodgers Houston, it's going to be like one of those morning <laughs> shows where all the, all the hosts <laughs> that's, agree. That's and right. It's, it's they have the logos wrong. the same. Yeah. So I have to contractually give a, a different answer. I do think it's the Dodgers, but I think uh, I think it might be the White Sox with their with their rotation. I think they can uh, they can come out come out of the AL and uh, play for a pennant this year. Yeah. Well, stranger things have happened. The only reason I didn't say them, the only reason I didn't say them, is, is because they lose a superstar every other day. Now they might start to get some of them back. Robert and and Eloy are cleared for baseball activities, so I'm not too far off on that. I'm not just trying to snake in on what Jason's saying, but I almost said them, except I looked at their IL and it was longer than their roster. So that was my only concern with them. They just lost Grandal for a long period of time, but they too should be aggressive, and I could see them making moves. The Eduardo Escobar rumors have started early. They should. They should already have him on the team, to be quite honest. Keep an eye on this Gavin Sheets guy who who just came up. Larry Sheets, this kid, I really like him. So, yeah, I will not rule out the White Sox. I do want to see White Sox-Houston in the ALCS because I think that would be an excellent series. Larry Sheets' kid. That just made me feel old right there. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, Paul Spore, again, Fangraph, Sleeper in the Bus podcast, and, of course, uh, twitch.tv slash Spore, where he plays MLB The Show and has a whole bunch of people in there uh, on a seemingly nightly basis. How many times in a week are you in there? Uh, usually five to six. Five uh, to six. Yeah, sometimes seven. It just depends. Very nice. And then Jason Weingarten, who uh, you can find on uh, Twitter at Spreadopedia. By the way, it's Paul at Spore, S-P-O-R-E-R. Jason is at Spreadopedia. Point spread, weekly, point spread weekly writer, pardon me. Uh, always on a numbers game. As Paul is always, uh, we try to get them both on primetime action as well. And Jason, you may have a, a podcast coming. People should know about this. Yep, that's uh, that's Ooh. the plan. Just just waiting on uh, waiting on the final details, but it should be a daily 10, 15 minute show on Visa every day. That five days five days a week. That will Let's be go. awesome. Ruminations from Jason. Not only on baseball though, you'll go into other sports as well. Yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. We'll talk about, you know, different markets and different things I'm doing and what's available and how to bet it and how to be a better better. How to be a better better. I love it. Paul, Jason, thank you both, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Beating the Gentlemen, Book Podcast midseason uh, on baseball. Next time you'll hear from us probably will be right before the NFL season, maybe a little college football, I don't know, uh, where we'll do guessing lines and the Megapod with Mike Palm and Todd Wishnev all over again live here from Circa. Actually, maybe over at the D. We look forward to that. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good luck with all your bets.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.